You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, is it is it just me or does this feel weird? I, I drove in this morning and his car's not there. And you could do church and at this time in the morning, you get in, there's the, the blue Ford XR6 and BWS and you know that God is in the place, right? When you see that around there. Or the voice and the tones out there in the foyer walking around saying good morning to you and walk past his office and there's nothing in there anymore. Um, I even found myself yesterday waking up in a bit of a cold sweat from my afternoon nap. I felt like I lost a loved one. And then it hit me, I have lost a loved one. We've lost a loved one. And it feels weird because on one hand... There is uh, incredible excitement and I can't tell you how affirming it is as a young guy coming into this incredible privileged position to see the text messages and the Facebook posts and the encouragement and the love of my church family. But the reality is there's sadness and there's grief. He's not here anymore and we've lost a loved one. And if you are new and you're a guest with us this morning, then I guess that's where we've got to fill you in, that our beloved senior pastor who's been here for 16 years in the most incredible ministry uh, moved on on Friday into his retirement. And so he's not dead, but he is... (laughs) He's still there, but... (laughs) And I guess part of what we're all battling with this morning is how do you do life when the mascara is still on the cheek? I mean, in my case, it's spiritual mascara, of course. In, in Michael Thomas's case, it's the real mascara. <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you do when you've you got, you got the mascara on your face and, and yet we know that there's excitement. We know that God has got incredible things planned for this church. We know that we are an incredible season. As Catherine has said, we have seen God move in the most wonderful of ways over this period of transition. Here we are getting ready. We, we are ready for this and yet at the same time there is sadness. That's why God just hit me when uh, I was processing through what I would share during this time. He hit me with that image of the bridge. I love bridges. I love, I love climbing the harbour bridge and the bridge climb. I, I love the sorts of bridges when you're travelling through the desert plains of Arizona and you realise that this incredible structure spans the deepest chasm you have ever seen. And you, you, you go from here to there and often you overlook the bridge. And yet the bridge is a place of incredible stability. It's been engineered to take you from here to there. And most importantly, if you go and walk across the Harbour Bridge, bridges offer you that wonderful in-between time to, to stop and reflect on where it is that you've been and where you're heading. And so that way for as us as a church, this next four weeks, it's not a time where we're going to get up and, oh, here's the new vision for Northside Community Church. It's not a time where we're going to get up and this is where we're headed and we're moving forward. It's not a time when we're going to run ahead And just start doing stuff. In fact, we're going to just stop and enjoy the bridge. And I don't know about you guys, but we all have bridge moments in life. Those transition points between the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship or the loss of a loved one. The loss of a school, the loss of the transition from different countries, different cities 
We've all been there and I just wonder how many times you stop to reflect and use the bridge in order to find a pathway through the transition you're going through. And so how, do, how are we going to look at this, these passages through Deuteronomy to Joshua for the next couple of weeks? A bit like this funny guy on the screen. He's one of my favorite animals. I love this guy. He's called the anablep. And what I love about the anablep is he's actually got four eyes. So you can't see it scientifically, but he, he's got their four eyes in, in one. So basically the deal is in each eye that he has... Uh, each eye is split into two so he can sit on the surface of the water. And so one eye looks above the water in order to see where he's headed. And the other eye looks below the surface of the water in order to get a sense of where the food is and around him. Pretty cool guy, don't you reckon? And so what I want you to be for the next four weeks is a bunch of anableps. I'm just gonna, I'll shorten it. Anableps is a bit weird. I'm just going to call you four eyes for the next... <laughs> For the next four weeks. And here's, here's what I want us to do as a church. I want us to look at Deuteronomy to Joshua this season anableptically. <laughs> Two ways that you need to be looking at this transition. The first one is that we need to transition as a church from the loss of a Graham Agnew and a movement into this new seat. We need to think about how are we going to transition as a church. But in order to do that, you're going to have to look down underneath the surface of the water into your own life and ask yourself the question, how am I transitioning? How am I going through the points that we'll see incredibly is paralleled in these passages? Uh, we will look through that, those stages of transition in any of life's transition from grieving to gathering to future focus, I call it God focus, to getting ready to go. And you look at any of the psychology books, they'll say those are the four major stages of transition and that's exactly what we find in the Bible. Funny that. Cool little book. <laughs> so, four eyes, that's what you're going to need to do for the next four weeks. And there are incredible passages here. But today, here's what we want to do. Here's what I want to look at. What do we do with the tears? What do we do in recognising that whilst there is incredible excitement, we're sad this morning. What do we do with tears? What do we do with the grief? The passage today will show us that you've got to expect tears. You've got to expect tears will end. And that happens when you cross the bridge. First one, you expect tears. Expect them. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses, verse 8. It says, The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. They grieved for him. It says uh, they mourned. Uh, I love the way that it talks of the imagery in the Bible of grieving, particularly in that culture there. Grieving was a very set process. You would wear certain clothes. You would tear your clothes. You would shave your head. You would cry. It was, it was a formalized setup. It says that it was seemly. It was appropriate. So they got that. And we, we're not like that these days, are we? Imagine these two scenes. On one hand, you have a, a funeral scene in uh, modern-day Arabic countries and you see the procession down the street and haven't we seen some of these tragic images at the moment? And how do they grieve? There's, there's wailing, there's smashing of the face, there is tears, there's crying, there's pulling of clothes, there's ripping. And then there's the other scene. I think of Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, military funeral, and, and these people uh, over on that side of the world, they, they don't scream and they don't wail and they don't hit the face. They dab. Don't they? they? They sit there. We sit in our Western culture. We sit there with suits and we, we, we tighten up the bottom, uh, button and we, 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 we stuff it deep down. 
And so some dump and some stuff. Some dump and some stuff. And that, that, that's, off, that's, that's the crossroads that we're at, church. What are we going to do with our tears? Because on one hand, some people dump and that's all they become known for is their feelings. I am my feelings. Whereas the other religious types, they stuff it deep in and I'm okay. But can you see, see the difference? The, th- the thing is, if you don't expect the tears, it'll cause you grief anyway. If you don't expect the tears, it'll cause you grief anyway. Here's the case study. It happens every time. They come into my office, their, their eyes are glazed, glazed over with that wonderful drug we call love. They're engaged. And they're about six to eight weeks out from the wedding. And yet they're terribly conflicted because there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Uh, mum's going nuts and, uh, and, and the sisters are going crazy on me and, uh, and I just, I'm getting so stressed and it's all too much and, and I just don't know why all of this is happening. And I feel so guilty deep down and I'm, I'm, just, I'm not communicating to my, my partner anymore as good and uh, it's too much to him. What's happening? And in the middle of this wonderful season of engagement, we call this pre-marriage preparation, by the way. In the middle of it, this one word has always seemed to be the key that unlocks everything that they're going through. I said, could it be that you're dealing with grief? And they, suddenly this young couple feels exactly how we feel as a church today. That we, this is an exciting season. This is fantastic. We should be looking forward to this. But why do I feel so guilty and terrible? It's because they're not expecting the tears. And that is that, that with any transition in life, even when God is in your life, you need to expect the tears. Why? Because transition, even positive transition, must incur a loss and therefore there must be the tears. So any transition in life, there's going to be some loss. If there is no loss, you're not transitioning, by the way. <laughs> you're stuck. So now let's look at the principle anableps, four eyes. Stay with me. First way to look at it, look at it personally. Are you going to be the sort of person that, that, that dumps or stuffs the tears over this coming season? Are you going to dump or stuff the tears? Here's the way to look at it upwards, people of God, as a church. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. I just want you to get this if there's anything from this morning. And that is that it's okay to say that you miss GA. I like the fact that rhymes. Can, can we just be real with each other? I, I, I want to be really real in saying it's okay to say that you. It's okay to say that to Sam over a coffee this Sunday and for the next month. At that time, it's 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 okay to say that you missed. Yeah, the Israelites had a time of mourning. We must be real with each other as a church that we are in a time of grief. More importantly, when we come out of that, what will our, what what would that demonstrate to a newcomer in our community? What sort of church would we be? Would it be a dumping church or a stuffing church? You know, so many churches stuff the grief. And they don't express it and they don't give people a place in order to expect the tears. And it's so critical because if you don't expect tears in times of transition, you won't transition. Because grief is the gateway to transition. And that any kind of transition, as we said, positive or negative, has to incur some sort of loss. So expect them. Otherwise... Not only will you find yourself crying about the transition, you'll find yourself crying about why you're going through the transition. (laughs) Christians are different. We expect it. We expect the tears. But here's the other side to it. There is a but to it all. Point number two, expect the tears to end. 
Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8b, at the end of it, it says, They grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. What was wonderful about the way that uh, the Israelites, the Jewish culture would grieve is that there was a set time to all of this. It was set up. It was structured. So this 30 days was very deliberate. It says there is a time in which uh, the mourning must be over. So here's what it's saying to us today. It's saying it's okay for us to be sad. What's not okay is for us to be sad forever. There must come a point in which we cross the bridge from grieving to gathering. And in fact, it's fascinating when you begin to study some of the transitions in the Bible, how many times God himself wakes his people up out of this time of grief. I'll give you a quick one. Do you want a quick one? Um, Case study. Read through this when you get home because I won't get through the the whole verses of it all. But there's a fascinating case study in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when you see the transition uh, from Saul uh, Saul to David and it's facilitated by the prophet Samuel. And what is fascinating is that uh, Samuel, when, he's, when God tells him that Saul's no longer the king, he, he, I'm done with him, he's disobeyed me, we're moving on, we're transitioning. Samuel is so filled with grief, he cries all night long. In fact, he's in such a state of grief and tears that it says in verse 1 that, that God has to come in and shake him out of it. He, he, God comes in and says, how long will you mourn Saul? God's saying this to him. Get over it. Move on. Get up. Arise. And now what's really interesting is that God's not rebuking Samuel for having grief. We've got to be clear about this. You must never rebuke someone for grieving. But what he is rebuking Samuel about is the length of the time of his grief. How long are you going to go on like this? He says to him, come on, get up, be on your way. And don't we all know that there is a point at which good friends come to people who are grieving and say, come on, come on, friend. It's time to get up. It's time to move on. It's, it, it, it really is time now. That's what good friends are for. And so, anaplectically, personally, here's what was coming to me here. Um, overgrief. Overgrief can be the first flag that there is an overlove of something that is not of God. That if you're finding yourself constantly crying about someone or something for an extended period of time, it could be the very flag that that thing has been overloved in your life. That it has taken the ascendancy of God's place in your life. And can you see the significance of the bridge? The bridge allows you to step back and ask, hang on, I'm, I'm hurting, I understand that, but am I healing? Am I, am I moving forward? Am I getting better? Is, is it time now? The bridge allows you to do that. Is my overgrief a sign of overattachment to someone or something? Now, at the inner level, uh, the, the upper level people of God, changes will happen in church life. Changes are going to happen in our church life. Slowly, but surely, changes will happen. And you've seen the case studies of churches that get this wrong. You know, they, they, they're like the Israelites. They spend 40 years in the wilderness just wandering around and still moping about the way things used to be. That they, they have this grief, it's 40 years on, and they're still mourning about a particular worship style or a particular pastor or a particular missional initiative or a particular building or a particular piece of furniture. And God's always coming in and he's shaking people up out of that. And he says, come on. 
Now that's why Don Carson, when he commentates on this passage, he says positive harm begins to happen in the church when there's an overlove of people or things. And so all we're saying, all, all I'm flagging at this point in time is just to say, are, are we aware that, that, in a, that in a transition for all of us, that will we be the sort of people that can move into that next place or will we get stuck on the overlove of the things that we have now? It's okay to be sad, but it's not okay to be sad forever. God says, wake up. So what do we do? What do we do with the tears then? Do we, do we dump them or do we stuff them? <laughs> and what's wonderful about the Bible, it says, no, there's a third way. The healthy way is found in the bridge from grieving to gathering. And what does that look like? What does a bridge look like? It's the slinky principle. The slinky principle. I might have shared it with some of you. Someone gave me a slinky because they like this principle so much. But when I was a little kid, I... I wanted a slinky so bad. They were like the hottest toy back in the 80s. They were this funny metal coil that you'd just tip over the end of a stair and they would have a life of its own all the way down the stairs and you could do all sorts of things with them. And there in Hobby Co, I'd seen this beautiful silver gleaming slinky. So I said, Dad, can I have a slinky? And he said, no, son, we'll have to save up for it. So every week, my 50 cents of pocket money would go in the jar and I would save and I would save just just yearning for that day when I would cross the Jordan into Hobbyco and <laughs> into the promised land was that, that beautiful toy shop. And we did. I got there and I crossed that Jordan. I got the slinky and I took it home and I was just full of joy. And I got back home and I started playing with the slinky and I started dangling it over the edge of the balcony. It did all sorts of amazing stuff. And by the end of the day, Dad noticed that I'd gotten really quiet. He hadn't heard from Sam in a while. Then he was there cooking the dinner and he goes to uh, pop the lid up on the bin and in the top of the bin, just placed in neatly, was this wrangled, tangled, mangled <laughs> slinky. And he finds Sam off in a corner, quite solemn, downcast. I think there was a bit of mascara smudge somewhere back as this young boy, but needless to say, there'd been tears. And he said, Sam, what's happened to your slinky? It's all, all mangled. I, I know, Dad. Well, come on, come on. You know, I know you've been saving up for this for ages. So look, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll go into Hobby Co tomorrow and I'll buy you a new one. And it was at that point the young philosopher turned to his father and said, No, Dad, things are things and then they're not. Verse 1 of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Son of Nun, Moses is eight. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people arise, get up, and get ready. It always sounds harsh when I read, read that verse, until I realized what God was really saying to Joshua. And he's saying to us this morning. He's saying, Joshi, things are things, and then they're not. Transition hurts. There's loss and there's tears, but there is a bridge that must be crossed. How do we cross it? You sow your tears. You sow them. Psalm 126 verse 4. It says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, it's pretty cryptic, but it's actually poetic what it's saying here. I love it. Our women's ministry has held on to that verse this year. 
Look at the image. A farmer goes out, he plants seeds, he comes back with a, a harvest. Nothing huge, right? No, no, look more closely. This is a farmer going out weeping. It's poetic. The farmer's going out either sowing tears or perhaps he's going out with seed using his tears or her tears to water them. And what does that mean? What it means is you don't dump your tears and you don't stuff your tears. You invest your tears. It's the same as money. You don't go out and you just don't go dump your money in a bit of a pile just into the one thing, nor do you go out and scatter it and throw it around everywhere. You invest it. You're careful about where you place it. You plant it. And you see, C.S. Lewis talked about this planting of tears as, as the deep magic. The deep magic, it's a weird word to use when you're talking about biblical things, but the, the medieval alchemists were always trying to find a way to turn lead into gold, right? And C.S. Lewis said this is the deep magic of grief in the Bible, the great mystery of Christianity, that if you plant your tears in something other, other than the job, something other than the relationship, something other than the school, something other than that person, something other than the very thing that you're transitioning to, if you plant those tears into something bigger and something greater than the transition of, that you were going through, then the magic of Christianity allows you to eventually say, things are things. And then they're not. Because Paul puts it so practically in First Thessalonians chapter 4. He says to the Christians, Christians grieve, but do not grieve as those without hope. He's saying that eventually there are two opposite mistakes that you can make in the face of loss and transition in your life. On one hand, you can try and avoid the grief. You can try and avoid the tears. But you can try and put it out of your mind, but that'll make you inhuman. It'll make you bitter. It will make you harder. And it'll, it'll erupt in your life like a volcano later on. But then there's also another mistake, and that is to grieve without hope. That the Bible indicates that this God of love and of hope and of power and of transformation, he has come in. And when you understand that hope, you've got to take that hope and you have to take that and you have to rub that hope into your grief the way that you rub salt into a wound or into, a, into meat in order to preserve it. You've got, to rub, you've got to rub that in and it will transform it. What is that hope? Well, the hope is in the fact that Deuteronomy was sort of wrong. And I don't like to say that because I believe in the infallibility of the Bible. Um, but the, the Deuteronomy was wrong, which was, which was really lucky for me when I, I think about it because I went to go and get some encouragement about this whole transition in taking over from Graham Agnew into this role. And then I read the verse at the end of Deuteronomy verse 34 and it, and it says, Since then no prophet in Israel has risen like Moses. There was no one greater than Moses. No one has ever done this amazing stuff like Moses. No one's taken him out of Egypt. No one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the mighty deeds that Moses did. There will never be anyone greater than Moses. And I'm thinking, that's great encouragement for a young pastor. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Lord? It was sort of wrong because there was a prophet that was greater than Moses. There was a prophet that led his people out. Not just out of physical captivity, but of spiritual captivity. The captivity of sin and of death. There was an ultimate Moses who not only saw God face to face, but was the one who didn't have to hide his face in order to still live when he saw him. There was an ultimate Moses who led his people into a promised land, not just a physical one, but a spiritual one, and that is Jesus Christ. 
And when you plant your tears into that one, you come to recognize that even in the midst of your grief, there's a God. What was Jesus? Jesus was always weeping. Jesus was always crying. There was always tears. And when you plant your tears into him and you give those tears to him, then you see that you worship a God who gets where you're at. And you worship a God that is the master of that deep magic, as C.S. Lewis put it. You need to sow your tears. You need to invest your tears. And over time, I can't give you a time frame, but he will change them and you will come back and you will reap a harvest of joy. Guys, as we close on our first weekend in this whole new season together, no one greater than Moses, no one greater than Graham Agnew. I feel like that at the moment, I tell you. He did incredible things in this place. But at the same time, he kept pointing us to someone else. He pointed us to a fascinating dynamic, which I saw summed up in a particular photo this week. Take a look at this photo, because I'm not sure if you, if you under, understand what's going on. Can anyone see what is different about that photo? It's from our, two of our ladies from the Commonwealth Games. And it's been photobombed by the Queen. <laughs> Her Royal Highness behind the hockey goals there or whatever it might be. You've got to go and see it at high resolution because I just love the look on the Queen's face. She's having a ball. <laughs> You're probably thinking, what the heck has this got to do with Deuteronomy and Joshua and the Old Testament? Uh, it's the question, of how will you read these passages? How will you read and see this transition over these coming weeks? Will you read it how I mistakenly started to read it? I thought this would be a good one for the church. It's about leadership transition, right? Yes. It's about encouraging young pastors. Yep. Uh, it's, about a, it's a case study in smooth operational transition in the church. Yep. No. <laughs> Holy Spirit gave me this week. This is, not, it's not, this is not about leadership transition. There was no transition. Verse 1, Moses, my servant. Who's talking here? Who's talking here? Look, I'll give you the clue. She wasn't the first monarch to photobomb a selfie. She wasn't the first monarch to photobomb a selfie, our queen. This, this book is about the fact that the king's plan and purpose for his people do not change regardless of who his servants are. And I'm just another one of those servants. Graham Agnew was just another one of those servants for the people of God here. And so the image is clear this morning, church. God will always be photobombing our selfie. <laughs> God will always be photobombing the pictures that we will have in the years to come over Northside. God was always before and behind and ahead of a Jay Bassick and before and behind and ahead of a Graham Agnew and he's before and he's behind and he's ahead of a Sam Haddon. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We see him in the background time and time again in this place. So the question is for eyes. Are you seeing, what do you need to do in the bridge? What are you seeing? What do you need to do personally to cross your own bridges during this season of transition when it comes firstly to crossing the bridge from grieving to gathering? And as a, as a church, as the people of God, we're excited today, there's no doubt about that, but we're ultimately sad today. And so how do we not get confused like that young couple in marriage preparation? We're on the bridge. That's how we don't get confused. We're in a season of transition that allows us to step back for a short while and to stop and reflect on where it is 
that we've been and where it is that we're heading. We expect there to be tears for a season. We know it won't last forever, but it's okay to say, I miss GA. We know that won't last forever, but yet there will be a time. There will be a time where the Lord will break into your life and will break into my life and our life as a church. And he will say to us, come on, arise, get up, get ready to start moving into the land that I've promised you as your inheritance. Let's pray.